This show is being brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoors. John O'Brien is the CEO of Grandpa Ray Outdoors, and he's been an agronomist for over 29 years. He's not just an agronomist, he is an educator. So if you go to Grandpa Ray Outdoors on the web, you're going to see that John is sharing his knowledge with anybody that wants to listen and become a smarter food plotter. He does have a special group called Team Grow, and you can join that and get the inside scoop with John. He does private uh, seminars and shares private information. So check out Team Grow and Grandpa Ray Outdoors for the finest information on the web. Oh yes, he has a full line of seeds that are as good as, if not better than, any other seed company in existence today. Let's Talk Deer. Let's Talk Deer is supported and sponsored by Grandpa Ray Outdoors. We receive funds from Grandpa Ray Outdoors for airing this show. Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Deer. I almost said Whitetail Rendezvous. And that's, <laughs> that still exists, folks. You can you can Google Whitetail Rendezvous, and you're going to hear about 650 or so um, episodes for that. But Whitetail Rendezvous... Um, dissolved way back in October. So I still say that every once in a while. And Anyway, let's talk deer. And we're heading down to Texas. And Larry, why soon? Now, Larry, if you don't know Larry, why soon? Just think of Mr. Whitetail and you'll figure it out. Larry, welcome to the show. And hey, folks, we've had some technical difficulties, but I think we got them all worked out. I'm hoping that's exactly the case. And it's great to be back on with you, sir. Uh, I'll be very frank with you. I wish I were in your part of the world right now because temperatures in my part of Texas are, uh, it's it's convinced me that I've got to live a very good life because if it's any hotter than what it is right now, I don't think I want to go there. (laughs) That's funny. We were just talking about that. (laughs) You can, you can read before the lines and, and uh, this show isn't particular political. If you want to get political, go to ask the people, um, uh, podcast and you can we can get as political as you want to get and um so larry you know we we talked on facebook live we did um and people yes, you should have heard that on wednesday as a teaser for this show uh, we covered a lot of ground and this episode of let's talk deer we're going to talk about the hunting season what's coming up and yes there will be a hunting season. What it looks like, how it looks like, I don't know. But I dare say there's going to be a hunting season. Somehow, some way, there'll be a hunting season. So with that in mind, what should be a hunter what should be a hunter doing right now, July fifteenth, two thousand twenty? Whether it's it's the year that we're into or almost any other kind of year right now, I think the, the main thing that we can do as hunters is to Make sure that we're very proficient with whatever we decide to use to try to harvest deer later on, whether it's a crossbow, a muzzleloader, a shotgun, or a rifle, or or bow and arrow. This is a great time to get out and spend an extra amount of time practicing. If you're going to buy new equipment, which a lot of us will, you know, I kind of like guns. I'll be very frank with you. So I always try to add a gun or two this time of year. And 
then once I get that gun, I want to mount the scope and I want to spend time at the range finding what to me is the, the best ammo. And over the years, I've always really kind of come back to uh, the Hornady ammo because that's kind of what's really been working for me. But this is a really good time to get out and to spend time and, as I said, learn the capabilities of the firearm that you have or the bow and learn your capabilities with it to where you can keep that shot within, oh, say, six to eight inches at the very most at whatever distance you can't do that. In the day, there are a lot of folks doing a lot of long-range shooting, but whenever you can't precisely place a bullet within the, the vitals of a deer-sized animal, you know, that ought to be the limit to which you that you shoot. So right now is a great time to try to do that. And then there's, there's a bunch of other things that we can be doing as far as the uh, uh, the habitat's concerned as well, too, to get familiar with it. You know, um, you mentioned a lot of things, going out and getting new gear. Folks, it's July 15th, August 15th. Some places open September 1st, some open September 10th. So you have like 45 days. If you haven't been shooting your bow one arrow a night or the morning, you got to get on it. And most people that I know, I mean, they're diehard. They're in their archery fiends, and, um, you know, they've been doing that. But if you thinking, hey, I'm going to buy that new expo, then you better get that get it tuned up at a pro shop, and then start shooting it. And then before September 1st, you need to know you're dead on range. And that could be your muzzleloader, shotgun, crossbow, whatever weapon you choose, you have to know your comfort range in confident range. And so many people I see, they buy a new gun, they're going on this big elk hunt out in Colorado, they buy a gun, and they go, they don't even go through a box of shells, and they say, oh, that's good enough. I'm going, please, Lord, no. Because that's a, I can tell you, that's a guaranteed prescription for wounding an elk or any critter. Larry, your thoughts? It is. It is. You're exactly right. To me, I... I, I like very accurate firearms and uh, pretty much the same hole shots at, at 100 yards. And, and I shoot those at a long range. It's more at paper and steel than I do anything else. For me, my hunting comes down to trying to get as close to the animal as I possibly can. I don't bow hunt, uh, but to me, it still means that I want to be within bow range with whatever I'm shooting. But I want to be proficient out at those other ranges. And two, we've got a lot of new people coming into the hunting uh, this year because they're realizing that, hey, I can get out and I can harvest my own game. It is totally natural kind of meat. And uh, it, so I think we've got a lot of folks getting out, and I think we need to stress to them particularly to spend time learning the capabilities of what you can do with what you have, regardless of what you shoot. So that to me is a big thing. Also, right now to me is a great time to scout from a uh, distance with a binocular and, and looking, or if you can, get on the ground even in some of these places, because now you're not really going to disturb those deer if you try to do the same thing a little bit later on. But we're to the point now where you can see that what have you got persimmons, a soft mass type of, of, uh, of a tree or, or plant, and right now is a good time to check to see how they're doing. At the same time, you can spend time looking for those hard, uh, like the acorns and pecans and, and all kinds of other things that you're going to be eating later on. And it'll give you a really good key as to what the what area that you want to concentrate on. If you got an area that's going to produce a lot of acorns, that might be a really good place to be a little bit later on because that's going to be a food supply. And, and learn what that local food supply is. To back up just a little bit, we're still seeing fawns, and we'll see fawns for a while. To me, 
I like to hunt mature deer. So those areas that I hunt, I'm going to go back and talk to a game warden, biologist, land manager to try to find out what kind of farm survival rate they had five years ago, four years ago, because they had a really good farm survival rate. There are going to be a lot of those older age classes in that particular little area that you're going to be hunting. But looking at, at the food, you know, going back and finding out about the farms right now from, and looking to see what the farm crop's like right now, to where you can you know, get an idea if you want to come back to that area later on as well, too, because there are a lot of farms this year. But finding the food supplies and uh, even to the point of if you get out and start walking around, of course, they're going to make tracks and you're going to be able to see them. But one of the things that I look for a lot, too, this time of the year is while I'm out and about is rubs. I want to see, of course, they're not active right now, but I want to find rubs. And the rubs that I like to find are those that are a little bit bigger trees and, and particularly those that have scoring where it looked like a deer rubbed on them like two or three years ago, and you go back and it looks like they rubbed on them again the next the year afterwards, and even like last year. And if you can find those, that tells me that, that there's some probably some mature deer in that area, and that's kind of a favorite place for those bucks to rub. And a lot of times you'll have those kind of communal rubs where those deer come to them. And a bit later on here, you you know, you'd be looking for scrapes as well too, but we're still a bit away from that. But the rubs you can tell right now. You just said a whole heck of a lot. We could write a book about what you just said. <laughs> Truly. And you probably have written a, a couple articles, one or two. About yes, what sir, I've covered two about two of this in the past. <laughs> one thing, okay, let's just break it down. Yes, sir. So long-distance scouting, if you're not doing that, you need to get on a hilltop. You need to get, you need to get where you can see deer movement. Now, they're not as skittish. They're, they're on the alfalfa. They're on, in the food plots. They're just grazing on natural browse, and you can see the up and comers. You can you can see horn growth right now. Yes, sir. There's no question about it. And then you can see, okay, where are the does and the fawns hanging out? Uh huh. Why do I want to know that? Well, come October and come early November, those does those and fawns are typically going to be in a similar area. Now, that can change if we're talking about, then we're going to talk about hunting the back 40 in a little bit. But they'll give you an, an idea. Then either take your iPad out, you take your phone out, and start making notes. If you're not taking a journal, if you're not keeping a journal about what you're seeing today, then your memory's not that good, folks. I wish it was, but it's just not that good. So you say, hey, I saw an up-and-comer. Looks like he's going to be a solid 10. Just think he's going to be an 8. Bam, he's, he's outside his ears already, blah, 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 blah. I saw him in the Dutch Hollow. I saw him on Buck Ridge. I saw him blah, 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 blah. Okay, is he going to be there in October, September? I don't know because food changes, right? But I know he's in, yes, quote, unquote, the area. Your thoughts on that? You're, you're exactly right. You know, these days when I started hunting, we had maybe a U.S. Geological Survey map or if you were in an area where they, what they used to call OES Soil Conservation Service, you could get a map where you could look at it and physically hold it in your hand. And, and I used to carry those around. And just what you said, I'd make notes on all those maps. These days with, with uh, Onyx maps and all these other things that are out there, a lot of the different apps that people have regarding scouting in areas, trail cameras. We never had trail cameras way back then, so we had nope. to depend heavily upon what we could see. So I still I, I use trail cameras a little bit, 
to uh, to get some ideas. I like being surprised sometimes about what kind of deer are on the property as well. There's so many scouting tools available to us these days, right at our fingertips, as compared to years ago. We had to walk a lot of this country out, and uh, it's still a good idea to do that. But uh, there's so many different opportunities now with some of the maps that we have, like you say, with an iPad, with a phone, and just going to uh, Google Earth and all those kind of things that we have available these days. And, and uh, again, with the trail cameras, uh, that's really, I'm not going to tell you that you're seeing all the deer in the area. You'll probably get a pretty good idea of some of the deer that are there, but I would never say all the deer, you know, on your trail cameras. But that kind of scouting is available to us, and that's another form of long-range scouting these days. I got to ask you this question. Did you ever use a string timer? <laughs> I, We're I talking did. about old school, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. Tony, uh, who has written for years, he's an old uh, game warden, dear friend of mine from Colorado. Judd used to guide for bears, and that's how I'd go up there and visit with bears back when you could still bait in Colorado and some of these others. We use those, and then we also use those same things around food plots. On whitetail deer as well too, and you're right. That does, does go back away. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there, folks. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Bring back some great <laughs> memories, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh Lord. So one thing that I know, you can see it. Oak tree could be white oak, red oak, and you go, oh, look at the crop on that. And you go back and set up a stand, hang a stand, and say, oh, man, there's a trail here and everything, then they don't show up. Why is that? Probably because of the fact that there's a lot of different uh, trees out there that they can go to rather than one. One of the things that we've done, and I can't remember if we did before, usually I'm going to go past hunting season very quickly to like January or February. What I do in that time frame is if there are a lot of oak trees, particularly white oaks, because they have less tannic acid and deer tend to like those better than the red oaks. And what I'll do is I'll pick out two or three specific trees and right at the drip line, meaning the outer roots of those branches, I'll dig a little trench and I'll throw some triple 13 in there. What that does is a tendency to reduce to that fertilization, tends to reduce the uh, the tannic acid, even in the uh, in the acorns that are produced by that tree, and a lot of people say, well, they're a little bit sweeter. So you can actually create a native-type food plot, and there are other native browse species out there that I've, like uh, a lot of places, Smilex or Greenbrier, and then in our part of the country, not just regular honeysuckle, but Japanese honeysuckle, specifically that one as opposed to the other varieties that are out there which deer don't like and don't have any use for but in a lot of the areas that I work in, and as a biologist that hunted and continue to hunt, we have Japanese honeysuckle, and I'll fertilize that particular plant. And those deer have, by whatever means they can tell, they know it's more palatable, more uh, in terms of more available there in terms of nutrition. So you can create your own little food plots. So that's one thing that you do in the wintertime that you can come back and check this time of the year on, and that will drive those deer once the season gets going a little bit farther to those specific areas that you fertilized. Dang. So, folks, um, you know, Larry's giving you the PhD stuff. It's not whitetail one-on-one. So, um, you know, that's just it, just what it is because, you know, go and Google Larry Wysoon and, and, and read some of his stuff because w- we could spend the next five hours and we wouldn't, we wouldn't suck him dry. Uh, we, we just wouldn't. But 
you know, you have to understand. Here's the biggest thing that I know. You have to understand the flora and the fauna and how it yes, impacts sir. your land. Okay. Yes. You don't know a difference between a Japanese honeysuckle and the Bench Ridge holy, you know, honeysuckle. Then that's going to hurt you. How do you find out about it? You go to the library. You don't even have to do that. Just go on Google and go, okay, what does hun Japanese honeysuckle look like? That's it. That's all you have to do. And then go find it. And then create a natural food plot. You know, this is, this is gold. Because if you get those deer with their olfactory and they smell it and they taste it they know what is good food and they know what is bad food guess where they're going to go eat the groceries that give them the best nutrition that's where they're going to eat and i don't care if you have a hundred thousand dollar food plot and all this other stuff if they don't want soybeans that taste like your soybeans because of the alkaline or the ph value in the soil they're not going to eat your beans your thoughts, Larry? Exactly. Hey, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, there's a lot of good food plot plants out there, and we're getting on to the time for too very long where people will be planting fall food crops. And one of the advice, the advice I normally give people is go to the local farmer. If there's any activity as far as agriculture with farming involved, ask that farmer what he plants that he just can't, he, that he just can't keep the deer out of. And then what I do is I find out what, where he gets his seed. Normally it's from the local feed and seed dealer. And I go there and I say, okay, I want the same kind of stuff that's over here. That's what I'll plant because I know several things immediately. It grows in that area. Deer like it. Deer are real finicky eaters. And sometimes the best browse, if they're not familiar with it, it'll take years for them to adapt to it. But, you know, it'll, it'll grow in that area and the deer like it. And so you, it'll grow in that area. So you, you're one step ahead when it comes to the food plots. One of the other things that we do in some of these areas I'm hunting right now is we hunt where it's pretty darn thick. Deer take the path of least resistance whenever they possibly can. And so in some of these thickets, uh, whether it is a, a, a woody type of plant or whether it's a, a, like a big weed, if you will, a big fork, or, or I'll go through there and I'll do a kind of a meandering trail that I'll cut with a with a, <laughs> with anything that I can, anything from, from a hoe to a machete to whatever and the, kind of lead those deer kind of where I want to through that thicket. And then at the same time, I'll trickle fertilizer in that area where I cut. So you're creating a natural trail for the deer that feel safe because there's growing. And you're providing food so they don't just run down it. They, they'll stop and eat as they go. So you can set up to where if you got a place where you can set up a, a, a tall tree or in a tall tree or even on a ground blind with these meandering areas, you can live there pretty much right to you. So just, just little things that can be done. And right now is a good time to do that. This, and when you get into July and August, by the end of August, you don't want to do it anymore. But in July and August is an ideal time to create your own trail that you want those deer to follow. Yes, sir. Pretty good information. I'll okay. punch that. <laughs> Again, just Google Larry Wysoon <laughs> and, and, and Larry Wysoon, you know, food plots and trails and, you know, Everybody knows about hinge cutting, but you have to hinge cut yes, smart. 
You don't hunch, yes, sir. hence cut, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to hinge cut this. And, okay, why are you doing it? What side of the hill or the ridge it is on? What's the prevailing winds? Where does the sun hit? Where does the sun don't hit? You have to figure all that stuff out, folks, before you put a saw, an axe, whatever, to a tree. Because the deer understand that. Until you understand why the deer understand that, then you're wasting your time. Your thoughts on that, Larry? You're exactly right. We've done that a fair amount in certain areas, particularly in the southeast and some of the eastern uh, states that I've worked in, and even in parts of Texas with the hinge cutting. And that's worked really well for, for deer. One of the things that people forget a lot of times is anything that we do to try to promote the habitat in terms of quality and quantity and diversity for white-tailed deer, actually the white-tailed deer probably benefits less out of it than all the other game species and non-game species, everything from the songbirds to the, you know, little ground-dwelling animals. So whenever you do tell deer to improve regardless you're actually improving the overall wildlife habitat, and the majority of wildlife being not deer is going to benefit more from anything else. And more importantly, the habitat will benefit as well. And if you've got a healthy habitat, you're going to have a, a goodly number of, of varied types of animals on that habitat. See, Larry, if somebody wants to reach out to you, how would you like them to reach out to you? There, there are a lot of different ways. Probably the easiest and best way is, is if they can get, go to my Facebook page. It's Larry White Sue Outdoors. And uh, um, they can get in touch with me there. And uh, and I'll do my best to answer them. And then maybe a particular question that they're feeling, maybe they don't want to really ask in front of a group, they can also get in touch with me there, you know, on a message kind of thing. And I'm, I check those about every couple of three days at the most. And, and they can get in touch with me that way. So uh, to me, that's probably the easiest and best way right now. All right. So just reach out to Larry at Larry Y. Soon on Facebook. Okay, let's yep. switch it up. Okay, I'm a new hunter. Okay. What should I be? What should I be most concerned about? This is going to be my first hunting season because I want to. I'm a into organic, I'm into not going to the grocery store and buying my beef. I've heard from enough people that venison tastes great. So what should I be doing right now? I think that be done right now is to make sure that you've got permission to hunt the property that you're going to try to go to or, or get familiar with what public land properties there are and become familiar with whatever it is that you're going to shoot. And the process of all that, too, is learn everything you can by looking at the anatomy chart, charts, if you will, of, of a deer or a bear or whatever, so that you can, regardless of what the angle is, uh, you'll know whether to take the shot or not take the shot. And if you take the shot, you know, to place that bullet or arrow or, or both within the vitals of that animal. And then the next advice that I'm going to give hunters, period, is is don't look for excuses not to go hunting. It's too hot. I don't sit out there. It's cold. It's it's raining. It's snowing. You know, it's it's foggy. The thing you got to realize as a whole in a certain type of weather conditions, but there's always individuals in there, just like you and me and, and whoever else is listening out there. All of us do things maybe a little bit differently. Yeah, that I'm, I don't like hot weather, but there's a lot of folks I know that like hot weather. I love cold weather. So in that instance, looking for it is. It's hot when nothing else is moving. But, uh, yes, it's generally, yes, be prepared to hunt all day. 
so very often we have, I think over the years, deer have naturally gravitated, particularly white-tailed deer in hunting areas, to where they still move a little bit daylight and, and first light and late night. But a lot of those mature animals they have a tendency to move more during the middle part of the day. They've come to realize that everybody, a lot of folks hunt from first light until about 9 o'clock and they go home and, and uh, you know, eat breakfast and do what they need to do. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they hit back out again. So a lot of times over here that you're not seeing, and you can't figure out why, they're probably moving right from about 10 to 2 o'clock. And very frankly, that's when I've shot my biggest whitetail bucks over the years is right over the noon hour. And in Wisconsin, especially up north um, where we used to hunt before the wolves came in, anyway, what would happen is when people started, they're on the stand at dark 30, and then it's cold, rainy, snowy, it's just not good weather. And so all of a sudden they last, they're going 630, 730, 830. <laughs> yes, sir. A coffee cup would be good, so they get down from the stand, 839 o'clock, and they start moving back to the cabin and Bob does it because he's coming up from the Jack of Hearts stand and Harry's coming from the Ace of Diamonds stand and all of a sudden we got four or five, we get every, just about everybody in the crew, they're all moving. And so the deer go, uh, 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 and so they're moving and so Bob knows this and he's on an escape route, boom! Harry goes, oh, oh. They go, oh, Bob's done it again. Because Bob doesn't go in at 8 30, 9 o'clock. He doesn't go in yeah, until right. 2 or 3. He goes in after everybody comes back out. Just saying, folks. Just saying. Deer adapt very quickly to, to hunting pressure. Uh, years ago, they put radio collars on, on several mature whitetail bucks. This was in Kansas. And uh, I think this one was, I think there was one done in Wisconsin as well, too, that was behind the fence. So they real collared hunters and deer and turned the hunters loose in there. And they knew how many deer were in there. They were able to track the the hunter and the deer as well, too. And a lot of times uh, they didn't shoot very many, quite frankly. And uh, a lot of times those deer were laying within six to eight feet of where that hunter walked. And generally it was because he was walking a little bit faster and, or he was, you know, he was coming out of the woods when he should have been staying in. So, again, it comes right back down to the deer were very adaptable. They learned very quickly about hunting pressure. And uh, to me, what you do is you try to find those little chinks in their armor and uh, try to spend that all day hunting. And sometimes it's not very productive, but when it is one of those times that you're looking for a big deer or big body or whatever, a lot of times that's when you'll find those deer moving is right during the time when, Everybody else is back at camp and filling hunting stores, taking naps, eating lunch, and eating breakfast kind of thing. One thing, and I can't remember the place. I never, I never drew a tag for it, but I know guys that did. And the most embarrassing thing, folks, is they're in a, I think it was 100 acres. It wasn't all that big. And so they, everybody was collared or everybody was trackable. So the hunters would come out and they'd watch the replay. <laughs> yeah, that I, 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 
I talked to one of the people that was involved with that study years ago, and it was absolutely amazing. You know, they, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> They're going, are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. that's how smart they are, folks. And on our farm, Eddie killed the biggest deer of his life, and he's been on the farm for he's 65 years old, so go figure. He was driving the manure spreader on one of the farm roads and he went past the dump and all of a sudden he looks in the dump and there's old parts and pieces of cars and just it was a regular <laughs> dump but he's sitting up in a tractor right sitting up in a tractor he looks and he goes no way and he goes holy fright so obviously it's hunting season he's got his rifle with him and says okay how am i going to do this how am i going to do this so he drives it by then he gets out the offside goes behind the tractor go behind the manure spreader and just goes buck he just yelled the buck stands up boom and it was a non-typical 180 to non-typical it's over 200 points and oh my gracious yeah it's just but it was sitting 20 feet from the road <laughs> and the tractor went by, boom, 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 boom. Oh, here comes the farmer. I'm just going to hang out here. Yeah, I'm sure. safe. Nobody's going to hunt the, the junk pile, blah, 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 blah. And Eddie saw the tines. That's all he saw. And he goes, man, that's a buck. He didn't know how big it was. So we have to jumped up and it was too late now. And then, oh, my goodness. And bam. And that's one of the biggest bucks ever to come off the farm. <laughs> it's not the biggest. And, you know, it was just, he was just doing chores and there it was so over the years that's how tight they hold folks you're exactly right over the years as i've hunted iowa airman and after harvesting the the crop and when they're still a little crop and it was left out in the field i'd crawl into it or if there was a tractor that was parked there Overnight, I'd, uh, for a day or two, I'd crawl and sit down next to the wheels. And one of the best deer stands there were in that part of the country as far as trying to find mature deer because they were used to that being there, and it was a it was a activity that they were used to. So, yeah, don't, don't just because the farmer's out there harvesting grain or whatever that it's going to scare all the deer away. If anything, it may pull more deer into that area than anybody else. Folks, we could go on for, like I said, we could go on for hours, but I want to get to something that near to dear to Larry's heart, and it's about being united as hunters. Bruce, you're exactly right. We live in some very interesting times where we're being set upon by a lot of people who have no understanding. And I think if we're going to try to perpetuate hunting into the future, one of the things we've got to do is, is to, to be very careful about it. But to combine. I've got friends who I've run into and go, oh my God, you don't bow hunt, you know, and I said, no, I don't. I said, well, you're not a bow hunter. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm a hunter. I said, same thing as you are. And I think it's so very important that regardless of how we hunt, that, uh, uh, you know, we can be a little bit of elitist because I hunt with a bow or I hunt a crossbow or I hunt with this or that. But uh, when it comes right down to it, we need to continually be united to create a united front. Hunters are the greatest conservationists there have ever been. Uh, we live in interesting times to where, with the population that we have, we can't let nature go back to normal. Or what people can, that don't understand can 
manage the wildlife, and we have to properly manage the habitat. And the one way to do that is through hunting. And through hunting, we as hunters, we pay for all that conservation. I mentioned earlier that anything you do to improve the habitat for white-tailed deer or mule deer, elk, turkey, you name the game species or the game bird, and everybody benefits. Everything there benefits, including the human population as well, too, from a lot of different ways. So to me, it's very important that that we remain united to continue and where we can. You know, let's get together with everybody else and let's create a, a united front when it comes to hunting. I've belong to several hunting organizations and that organization, Dallas Park Club being one of them. And the safari thing you the vast majority of our hunters have never been on a safari and I never will go. It's one of the really great organizations out there. And if you want to learn more, go to B-G-A-M-E dot org. It's the Shooting Sports Foundation. Of course, the the, uh, the NRA, uh, the, the Wild Sheep Foundation, the Wild Turkey Federation, uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, the Mule Deer Foundation, all these do an absolutely fantastic job. And, uh, Yeah, and just to echo, you know, what Larry says, if you're going to be a hunter, uh, get involved in the conservation part of it. No, you don't. Oh, we need, spend yes, sir. Thousands of dollars. You don't need to do that. Just become a member and support it. And then if you have regional banquets, just go and meet some people. This is oh, fantastic yeah. people that I've met um, just because I was sitting there and it, enjoying the festivities, I never raised my hand, but that didn't matter because I was there, I was part of the community, and I came away with, with some relationships that still have today. And so, you know, conservation is you and I. And Larry, the North American model um, is unique in the world. And we have that because of Pittman Robinson, we have funding, there's a lot of things that are unique in the world that we've been able to do for conservation, for habitat, because of hunters. And fishermen, too. Let's not minimize that. But all outdoor people, but mostly it's the hunters that have paid the bill. And we'll continue paying the bill, and we're, we should be very proud of what we've done over these last many years and what we're going to be able to do in the future. But it is going to take a unified front of, of all those who truly love the outdoors and understand that we're going to, if we're going to have conservation, hunting has to be involved into it. So, you know, become a member, uh, support it how you can, where you can, but at least become a member and, and learn as much as you can so that when somebody confronts you and says, well, why do you hunt? You know, you've got a good sound answer for them as to why from a biological standpoint and even a social standpoint as to why you hunt. I think it's so very important that we do that. And so before we wrap this up, I want to mention um, you heard about Grandpa Ray Outdoors in the intro, but Grandpa Ray Outdoors sponsors Let's Talk Deer. John O'Brien's been an agronomist for over 27 years. He knows what deer like to eat. He was in the feed business way before food plots, (laughs) and he is one of the best educators in the business. A lot of people sell food plot, seed, fertilizer, big rock, small rock, trophy block, whatever. You know, there's a gazillion choices. But if you want to understand the reason why the top inch of the soil may be the most important, depending on what type of soil you have, then 
look up John O'Brien at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Secondly, Burner HD, Burner Home Device, is a sponsor of the show, and Burner is a non-lethal personal protection device. I'm an affiliate. I'm also a dealer for Burner. Reach out to me at promo code LTD2020 at gmail.com, and we can talk about getting you the information you need, the YouTube videos, anything you need to protect yourself. Because, folks, we're in different times, no question about it. And some people are not gun owners, they're not pistol owners, but Berna gives you a choice because it's non-lethal. I can guarantee you if somebody's hit with OC and pepper spray, they're going to stop and reconsider what they're doing. So Berna.com, check it out. Reach out to me at promo code LTD2020 at gmail.com. Larry, let's talk about hunting the back 40, in your case, the back 100. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I've got a place that's been in our family since uh, the middle 1800s. It essentially was overgrazed probably most of that time, and I'm trying to bring it back. But we do have white-tailed deer on the property, and they're a legal buck is a buck that has four points on one side and a 13-inch inside spread. And we're finally starting to get some of those deer there, thanks to the efforts of my brother and the people of our neighbors trying to pass up some deer. But... Uh, Hunting that area has been one of my most challenging things. That's where I shot my first whitetail deer a long time ago, and I am still, I guess, up to the challenge, but I'm still being challenged by those deer. Uh, I've tried everything that I know how to do elsewhere, and it's been successful for me. And to this point, it has not yet been successful. But therein lies the challenge, and therein lies a great part of the fun that, that uh, I enjoy. My grandkids have shot deer there, and... and uh, but I'm still looking for that first one. But, again, it comes down, as I mentioned earlier, to me, don't look for an excuse not to go hunting. And that's regardless of whether you got five acres, two acres, or you got a 20-by-20 20 20 spot that you can hunt, and, and uh, is, is get out there and hunt. And my dad used to put me on a deer stand when I was a little, little bit of kid, and he'd go, he said, my son, stay awake. And that was his way of saying, he knew I wouldn't go to sleep. But he, that was his way of saying, of saying, pay attention, you know, be cognizant of everything that happens around you and if you do that kind of thing when you it's uh you're going to be so much better hunter uh in terms of, of when something does come by you're going to be aware of it and you're going to be able to take advantage of that situation but to me again bottom line even on that back 20 back 40 back 10,000 acres whatever it is uh get out and hunt and and hunt hunt wise hunt smart and stay out all day where you can Wise counsel. But in, the, the other thing, and more and more people that, that I've talked to over the years uh, in this podcasting world, you know, the biggest thing that I would end the show with, have fun. It's Amen. not a contest. It's not a contest. Brenda Valentine, a long time ago, she was one of my first guests. She said, Bruce, it's hunting's real simple. It's your hunt and go have fun. You're not in competition with anybody. And, and my little sister, as I call her, is still right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Larry, wrap it up, partner. 
I just want to wish everybody a, a very safe and, and happy hunting season, just as you mentioned, to go out and have a great time, and, and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find what you're looking for. And, and even if you don't, enjoy the time that you're out there with meeting with my nature and, and with the friends that you spend your time around, maybe at a campfire around a table at night telling hunting stories. And on behalf of Let's Talk Deer, this is Bruce Hutchins saying, be safe out there, folks.